0: welcome to sojourner truth thank you for staying with us this is your host margaret prescott our weekly roundtable is back and we do analysis of the midterm elections. We also take a look at what is going on at the UN Conference on the Environment, known as COP27. (laughs) It is being held in Egypt. And also, we'll get some news from south of the border, including the Brazil election, the return of Netanyahu in Israel, and the summits that are coming up between uh, President Xi and Biden, uh, Xi of China, and also there is going to be a China-Germany summit. Our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn.
1: I'm Max Springle with these headlines. President Biden arrived today in Egypt for the COP27 annual global climate meeting. He's expected to make the case for American leadership in the fight to limit greenhouse gas causing climate emissions. The centerpiece of the administration's climate initiative is the Inflation Reduction Act. The act will spend billions to cut U.S. emissions in half by 2030. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke at a panel with U.S. lawmakers Thursday. She said the administration is hoping to work with those who will be most affected by a warming planet.
2: In every way, the president has said, When we do this, we want to do it right, and to do it right, we have to listen to those who are affected the most, whether it's the vulnerable nations or the vulnerable people in our own community.
1: Biden's attendance at the UN Climate Conference in the resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh is the first stop on an around-the-world trip that will also take him to a meeting of Southeast Asian leaders in Cambodia and a group of 20 meeting for leaders of the world's largest economies in Indonesia. At the climate conference, Biden will also discuss a new supplemental rule coming today that cracks down on methane emissions, a measure that expands on a similar regulation his administration released last year. The 2021 rule targeted emissions of methane coming from existing oil wells. A federal judge in Texas blocked President Biden's plan to forgive student loan debt for millions of borrowers The plan provides up to $20,000 apiece in federal student loan forgiveness. The program was already on hold, while a federal appeals court in St. Louis considers a separate lawsuit by a half-dozen states challenging it. District Court Judge Mark Pittman said Thursday that the program usurped Congress's power to make laws. Pittman is a Trump appointee. The debt forgiveness plan would cancel $10,000 in student loan debt for those making less than $125,000. Or households with less than $250,000 in income, Pell Grant recipients would get an additional $10,000 in debt forgiveness. Vice President Harris and First Lady Jill Biden will attend the annual wreath-laying ceremony at the Arlington National Cemetery outside Washington for Veterans Day. This is the first Veterans Day since President Biden signed legislation expanding health care for service members who were exposed to burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan or to chemicals that were used in previous conflicts. The administration says more than 137,000 claims involving toxic exposure have been filed. The Department of Veterans Affairs also began asking veterans about possible toxic exposure earlier this week in an attempt to identify any health complications The legislation known as the PACT Act was a priority for Biden, his eldest son, Bo Biden, died of brain cancer in 2015, several years after he was exposed to a burn pit during military service in Iraq. Ukrainian forces have reportedly arrived in the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson after a withdrawal by Russian troops. The Russian Defense Ministry says it has finished pulling out its troops from the western bank of the Dnieper River in Ukraine's southern Kherson region. Kherson was the only major city captured by Russian forces. Feature Story News' James Gooderson reports.
3: It's thought that as the Russians retreated, they've potentially blown up some bridges, laid a lot of landmines in that area as well, which will take some time for the Ukraine Armed Forces to clear. Volodymyr Zelensky spoke last night as well, here's what he had to say. I thank all our heroes who make this advance possible. Armed Forces, intelligence, special services, everyone. Now about 170,000 square kilometers remain for demining. We are getting the sense that as we get closer and closer to Christmas, the weather's going to get colder and colder, and the idea of close quarter combat is something that will recede during the winter months. Instead, uh, there will be sort of, as we've already seen, targets on Ukrainian energy supply and other uh, facilities, and then potentially, as the snow's thaw, uh, things may get uh, quite forward and aggressive uh, when we get into spring.
1: That's James Gooderson, and I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio.
3: And this is Margaret
0: Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It's our weekly roundtable, and it's back. Uh, We've missed them. And I'd like to welcome our panelists. Uh, Laura Carlson, director of the Americas Program, works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. Laura is based in Mexico City, where she is a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish-language publications. She's also a television host and commentator on Globalization, the Drug War, Immigration and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome.
4: Thank you, Margaret. It's great to be here. Yeah, welcome
0: back. Jackie Goldberg, governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board, District 5. She is a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg had previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council. Before being elected to the council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be back. Okay, sorry about some background noise that we're we're hearing there. Uh, we'd also like to welcome back Dr. Gerald Horn, who's the Morris Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books and a hundred over a hundred scholarly articles and reviews. His latest book is *The Counter Revolution of 1836: Texas Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of*. Um, U.S. fascism. Dr. Horn, welcome.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to go right into the midterm elections there, a record 43 million people cast their votes votes early and beyond determining which party Democrats or Republicans will have the majority in the House of Representatives and the Senate, the results of the midterms bound to have a global impact when it comes to the direction the U.S. will take on the greatest crisis of this generation, climate change, and a number of other crises as well. A surge in turnout among people motivated by... the erosion of abortion rights helped to carry Democrats to victory in multiple races, countering the expected red wave that was predicted. Turnout by young people, by Generation Z, is also reported to have made a difference for Democrats control of the senate hinges on races in wisconsin georgia arizona and nevada Uh, so that's going to take a while to find out the results there the senate race in georgia is headed for a runoff in December. Now, Donald Trump didn't see the victories that he had hoped for and had been predicted that his endorsement would produce. Candidates who embraced his agenda in part to win his Endorsement, they underperformed in some of the most high profile races. And also, candidates who somehow were sympathetic to QAnon, that conspiracy theory, they didn't do so well either. And in one of the country's most high profile races, Trump's hand picked Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, Oz, lost the Democratic Lieutenant Governor, John Fetterman. And the result cost the Republicans a Senate seat. Now, in Michigan, a Trump-endorsed Republican lost a gubernatorial race. And criminal justice reform, by the way, had a few victories where progressive prosecutors were elected in Iowa, Minnesota, and several counties in Texas. And in Louisiana, voters rejected a ballot measure that would have ended forced labor at Angola Prison. But that passed in several... Of the states. Kentucky has rejected a constitutional amendment that would have said there was no right to abortion, right? And there were a number of other pro choice victories in the elections. Now, New York State, well, <laughs> It seemed as though some people are saying that the red wave that was predicted nationally actually happened in New York State. We'll hear a little bit about that. New York is being blamed for flipping Democratic seats to Republicans and therefore putting at further jeopardy the Democrats' possible control for the House. In Los Angeles, in the mayoral race between Karen Bass and billionaire Rick Caruso, that gap is closed. And many are predicting that at the end of the day, Karen Bass will be elected. We'll have to see how that goes. And in Florida, Ron DeSantis won the governorship handily. So we're going to see now there's a competition between he and Donald Trump. Before we have our panelists weigh in, let us go now to a short clip from MSNBC. Let's hear how they're discussing the midterms.
5: Election deniers
3: got pounded last night
5: so what does that say about the the, the american people writ large, but specifically the the people on the front lines of those votes in those states, uh, I think there was a lot of question about whether or not they would stand on that wall for democracy, and you know, succumb to the the fancy rhetoric and the glossy look that a Kerry Lake would have, uh, and they didn't. They said, no, we we are better than this. We know what happened in 2020, and and I think the idea of of just going further into the crazy yeah folks just like I can't I can't and I think yeah. folks are looking for can we just stop doing stupid can we yeah. just stop pretending this stuff is real and focus on and 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 why that's important Joe to your point about governors everyone focuses on federal elections in Congress. It's the governor's races where the people are closest to those candidates, and they're much more in the mix in terms of the narrative. Uh, And that, to me, says a lot. When all of those gubernatorial election deniers go down, it tells me that the American people are a lot more engaged than we believe they are, give them credit for, and that was proven in some of the last pollings that we did in NBC, where democracy was the number one issue going into the weekend before the election.
0: Yeah, and Jackie Goldberg, we're actually going to start with you on this round. Uh, Democracy on the ballot, a lot of what was predicted actually didn't come to pass, including uh, the red wave. And the question is being posed here, uh, fundamentally, if if voters have had enough of the divisiveness in the country and wanted to send another uh, message. And it also seemed as though the culture war Candidates, right, including uh, in in education and um, LGBTQ, etc. They didn't do so well either. Um, of course, with the exception of Ron DeSantis in Florida. Uh, Jackie Goldberg, your thoughts on this, and and do you think uh, some people are saying that the Democrats may still have a chance of holding on to the House? They seem to have a good chance of of holding on to the Senate. Well,
2: a fairly good chance, Jackie Goldberg. Yes, I, I would say the first and most important thing I would say is is that the abortion decision changed everything. More women voted than ever before, more women signed up to vote than ever before, more young people voted than probably ever before. And young people, of course, understand the relationship between a woman have control of her body and having ability to go to college, to get a job, to have a family when you want to have a family. So that was a critical, critical, critical issue. It was like, you know, that famous dog chasing the car. Well, the dog caught the car and the dog didn't know what to do with the car. So I would say that's number one. Number two, I would say is, is that, people criticized the President Biden for talking about democracy, but I believe it was the right move. And I believe a lot of people, particularly those who are the independents and the Republicans that don't like Trump, which may be quite a number of them by now. And I would say that one of the things that happened is, is that people decided to go to vote in greater numbers than usual in a midterm election. I think also it's important to talk about the fact that The amount of anger and hostility and yelling and fear of threats of violence every day that has occurred over this period is a big part of why a lot of those independents voted as they did. The temperature has to cool down. That's the general feeling I felt from the election results as I look state by state. All of the secretaries of states in the critical states for a presidential election who ran on the idea that the 2020 election were false and wrong, all lost, every single one of them. Now, there were plenty of deniers that won, and some will be in Congress, and we're going to have to watch that. This is not a complete victory, but I would say there are probably 12 seats in California that could make the difference in the House. And all of them are still too close to call. What we saw, I think, and I think it's important to say that, what we saw was an appeal to Americans to defend democracy actually had some real weight with some people. And that is probably, for me, besides the fact that women and young people came out in record numbers, that for me is really the big message of this election, is is that there is still, on the part of the majority of Americans, the notion that your vote ought to count, that every Everybody ought to be able to vote and that when elections are over, the loser says to the winner, congratulations. And by the way, that's probably the biggest surprise for me is, is that Oz and others have not challenged the outcome. And I think that's a indication, maybe perhaps, that some sanity is returning, hopefully, in the electoral process.
0: Yeah, and and Jackie Goldberg, before you go to your your comment on this, I mean, I I read an article that's saying, looking at some of the polling, that the electorate is more center-left in a way than center-right. I mean, there was a Fox News poll that found that 65% of the electorate think it should be the federal government's responsibility to make sure that all have health care coverage, for example. So even on race and health care, guns, other key issues, and the fact that the culture wars really didn't have the hole that it did, and people also didn't seem to buy the whole inflation hype. But Jackie Goldberg, your comment on that, because... Some people are saying what happened in New York is precisely a misreading by the Democratic establishment in New York around these kind of central left issues, Jackie
2: Goldberg. Well, I think one of the things that everybody should remember is that gerrymandering is a big part of this whole question of who controls the U.S. House of Representatives. The state of California took itself out of the game by passing a law that says that it will be done by uh, independent people. Other states have taken themselves out of the game, but no Republican states have taken themselves out of the game. So what you have is an automatic head start in any election uh, every two years in the House of Representatives where you have every Republican state just about so heavily gerrymandered that they get one to two seats that they, in terms of the population of that state's registration, do not deserve, where they put all the Democrats in one, one, one district, and then they have eight districts that are Republican when it should be five and three. And so what we have to deal with is the fact that as long as gerrymandering is legal in the way that it is currently being permitted to be legal, that we are going to never have an easy time holding the House, no matter what the issues are, inflation, crime, whatever the heck it is. I think inflation does matter to a lot of people. But I think when they got into the voting booth and they had to look at somebody like Oz, who lives in New Jersey, when they are in Pennsylvania, that just is not good. When you take a look at somebody uh, like a couple of those governor uh, races in the Midwest, I mean, for example, we have uh, 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 Michigan once again being all blue. Not only did the governor win, she was wonderful and she won big, but she brought along with her the entire state legislature. It is for the first time a trifecta for the Democrats in a Midwestern state in 40 years. So people are tired. They are tired of the yelling. They are tired of people telling them how awful they are. Some some of them are actually even getting tired of this notion of Donald Trump being the Republican Party.
0: Right, thank you, Jackie Goldberg and Laura Carlson. Uh, going to you, you know, it's interesting that although it looks as though, well, the predictions are that the Republicans uh, will control the House, we'll have to see how that goes. California will play a big role in whether or not mm-hmm. that is the case. And uh the Senate is up for grabs. But nevertheless, you have Joe Biden doing a kind of a victory lap. And people being a bit more hopeful, you know, I'll have to say that even for me, I I, I thought the, you know, the results would be a lot more devastating, right, uh, to our side, but it tells you uh, what time it is. And then this whole thing about uh, people voting for democracy. And I wonder from where you mm-hmm. sit, how you're seeing the midterms, what jumped out at you in particular, Laura Carlson?
4: It's interesting, Margaret, because I do agree with all that Jackie said about the positive points of this. And of course, the results were better than the really dismal predictions that we went into this midterm election with. Um, Having said that, and then Biden comes out and he said we lost fewer seats than in 40 years. We did the best in decades on governorships. But having said that, a result of better than expected is still not good. You know, from an international point of view in particular, other countries are looking at the United States and they're saying, here's a Republican Party that has been proven, essentially, to have in many ways fomented and then later justified an attempted coup against its own government. Here is a Republican Party whose most visible and probably most powerful ruler is being indicted on multiple counts from from corruption to tampering with elections and democracy itself. How is it possible that it increased its uh, power in these elections? And it's a really valid question. While well, we're patting ourselves on the back, you know, as Democrats or as the left, that it wasn't quite as bad as we expected, it's a really valid question. And so I think we have to look at some of the reasons for that. We had an interesting roundtable discussion in Spanish. Uh, with people who, with uh, two veteran organizers, from Oscar Chacon from Alianza Americas, migrant organization, and Jose La Luz and Ted Lewis from Global Exchange, a human rights organization, who was interestingly canvassing in Nevada at the time. And there were a number of real failures that came up, including the Democrats not talking enough about their failures in the democratic strategy, I mean to say. Not talking enough about achievements, you know, saying, yes, there's inflation, but why is there inflation? What are some of the structural causes for it? Not talking about the concentration of wealth that increased during a pandemic time when so many people were suffering in so many ways. Not emphasizing relatively good employment records that, you know, for most families, if you have a job I mean, you are better able to confront rising prices, obviously, if you have employment and not emphasizing enough the anti-Trump element because a dad who was canvassing was very clear to say, when we actually talk face to face with people, they say, no, why should I go out and vo- vote? And you said, well, do you wanna hand this country to that far right Trump element? And they go, oh no. and And they actually went out and vote. Others is just to have much more of a grassroots uh, way of of approaching the elections. They poured millions and millions of dollars. This was the most money loaded midterm election in history with more than $811 million. It's never been that high and it's gone up increasingly over the years. And they poured it into TV and media markets um, while really kind of uh, minimizing. That door to door strategy and that's where you really get education on issues and that's where you really get results as well and the Reverend William Barber talked a lot about the 87 million poor people who are not being reached. By the Democratic Party, neither in the kinds of candidates that they present, but also just literally not being reached. Nobody's going out and talking to them about the about the issues and about what really represents their own interests, and so they're subject to this manipulation by the by the media. There needs to be more effort in local elections. You know, those Secretary of States. Thank heavens were one, but they are powerful positions now. And the local elections are also what affect people's lives. And then the other point, which is important, is this Latino vote. Right after Florida, DeSantos and Marco Rubio win, and the Democrat and the Republicans come out and say, we are winning, the second largest demographic group, I mean, in terms of race in the country, you know, we are we are making major inroads into the Latino vote. And what these analysts emphasize is, first of all, it's a myth to talk about the Latino vote. There's so much diversity there. There's a real need to look at what and who these communities are, what their interests are, and speak to them directly uh, instead of instead of managing this image of of Latinos being a block. And that, in many ways, you know, the Democratic strategy has not been doing that as well now finally just to 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 close on the in terms of center-left initiatives they won and this is what you were talking about margaret and jackie the difference between the popular vote with gerrymandered elections and the and the representation of of these rural underpopulated or relatively less populated states in the senate and the popular vote continues to be really large um, the electoral college is just one example of this broken system that leads to this. So what did we see? Abortion. California, Michigan, and Vermont approving ballot measures to protect them in the state constitution. Even states like Kentucky and Montana rejected anti-abortion amendments. Expanding Medicaid in South Dakota, limiting medical debt in Arizona, child care access in New Mexico, millionaire tax in Massachusetts. Uh, funding for pre-K, raising the minimum wage in Nebraska and and the District of Columbia, Illinois constitutional amendment to create rights to collective bargaining. There's a whole slew, drug policy, liberalization laws, legalization laws, a whole slew among the 137 state ballot measures that went progressive. These are speaking directly to issues that affect people's lives much more than the candidates are and they're subject to a direct vote. So in the future, this is gonna be a major battleground in grassroots politics between the left and the right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, Laura Carlson and Jackie also, the thing about touting the victories, I mean, um, Senator Bennett out of Colorado, who's been a real champion of the child tax credit, you know, he got reelected, but in some of the studies that were done before the election, they found that across the board, democrats republicans and independents that whether a candidate supported the extended child tax credit made a difference with who they were going to vote for unfortunately um far too many candidates really got that message um, but dr gerald horn uh you weighing in here um on this election um including what happened with the whole definition of slavery and the, the 13th amendment, um, the, there were measures in Alabama, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont all passed, right? But uh, not in Louisiana, uh, surprisingly, <laughs> with, with the infamous Angola prison. Uh, but your thoughts now on what we can glean
3: from the results of the midterm, Dr. Horn? The problem with the Louisiana vote was that the wording was rather misleading, and I think that's what led to that result. Now, overall, with regard to the elections, I think obviously the pollsters need to engage in self-criticism. This is not the first time that they've misled us. And this has concrete results, because if the opposition, if the Democrats feel that they're losing the governor's race in New York state, that causes resources and personnel to be shifted there. And therefore you downplay North Carolina where Sherry Beasley could have become the next democratic Senator. So obviously pollsters need to either reform or be disregarded. Secondly, I think we need to congratulate the socialist left in particular for its ideological contribution because it's the socialist left that's popularized the notion of fascism which then trickled down even to Mr. Biden himself, who spoke about, quote, semi-fascism. And I think that that, combined with the Dobbs decision, where you had rights taken away, that is to say rights to reproductive freedom, that reinforced this idea that you would have not only anti-choice, but also the races for these electoral denialists, and it helped to contribute to this idea that democracy was on its way out and so the left of center needs to be congratulated for that now i agree that the united states has a center left electorate the problem is is that across class lines in the euro american community that community is basically center right and as ever that community according to the associated press voted 57 to 43 for the gop Likewise, it's, I think we have to realize that one of the reasons why Governor DeSantis won his race by about 20 points, not only because of the aforementioned, but also because of the fact that the Cuban-American vote, the Venezuelan-American vote, the Nicaraguan-American vote, they tend to vote GOP just as in Orange County, California, you have a strong GOP vote amongst the Vietnamese-American community in particular. And those particular totals are then reinforced by this anti-affirmative action discourse, which portrays Asian Americans generally as being victimized when you have steps forward by the black and brown community. Uh, Speaking of the black and brown community in South Texas, we cannot ignore the fact that there is a strong republican vote rising amongst the mexican american community and even amongst the overall women's vote the dobbs discussion notwithstanding the, that vote uh, went to the gop of 46 i mean excuse me it, the gop got 46 percent of that vote but if you disaggregate the black women's vote you'll see that the gop actually won the women's vote so I think that uh, we should pat ourselves on the back because the so-called red tsunami, the red wave, turned into a red trickle and a red puddle. But I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And I think uh, another defect for the Democratic Party is that they are perceived internationally as the party of war. Uh, That is to say that many on the left globally They took note of the fact that Mr. Trump has expressed opposition to NATO, that Kevin McCarthy, possibly the incoming Speaker of the House, said that he would no longer provide a blank check to the conflict in Ukraine. And because of the weaknesses domestically, the Democrats need those global currents. They need that global solidarity. Now, of course, there's a structural problem because the black leadership generally steers clear of foreign policy, steers clear of uh, issues of peace and war. And the AFL-CIO, the other pillar of the Democratic Party, uh, still thinks the Cold War is going on. So there are many reasons for us to be satisfied with regard to these Tuesday elections, but it would be misleading to think that we're out of the woods yet, particularly, to circle back to the original comment, out of the woods with regard to this fascist danger. Yes, and and
0: Dr. Horn uh, very well put there. Um, we certainly have to hold the feet to the fire of whoever is in office. And it's interesting, as you say, that the GOP becoming uh, the anti-war party, as opposed to the Democrats, Democrats being uh, very hawkish, it seems. Um, So Dr. Horn, though, I want to remind our audience that you and I will be um, together online this Sunday, three o'clock. If you haven't gotten your ticket, please go to kpfk.org. It's gonna be a rare occasion. We're gonna have an hour and a half uh, together to hear Dr. Horn, to ask questions. He'll be talking about his new book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of U.S. uh, Fascism. Dr. Horn, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping that everybody listening Right now, tickets are still available. Go to kpfk.org for your ticket. But Dr. Horn, uh, just underscoring that point, we'll hear a lot more from you on all of these questions on Sunday at uh, three o'clock at this uh, COVID safe online event. Um, But Look at um, Greg Abbott um, and, you know, he got reelected quite, you know, handily and the role that, you know, just reminded me of what you wrote about, about your, the role of Texas uh, generally. Now, Beto, he lost for the sixth time, right, uh, the, the Democratic hope. So, um Dr. Horn, any any thoughts on that? Because we we do want people to come out also on Sunday and hear more from
3: you. Uh, Any quick comments, Dr. Horn? Well, the Texas vote was very important. It's the second largest state behind California. The right wing has a stranglehold over Texas, which gives it momentum both domestically and globally, as I say in the book. Uh, Texas is to the United States as the United States is to the world. That is to say that Texas drives the United States to the right just as the United States drives the world to the right. So we have a lot of work to do.
0: Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take a station break. And uh, when we return, we'll continue with our weekly roundtable. We'll be discussing the climate crisis, the UN conference happening right now in Egypt on the Environment cop 27. And then we'll be getting some more international news. You won't want to miss any of that. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: Two, one, two, three, four.
0: Today is Veterans Day, and we want to give a shout out and a thank you to all of the veterans who are are listening. Of course, for me, I want to give a special shout out to my brother, who's a Vietnam uh, vet and suffering the results of it, and to remind all of us that uh, when we look at the uh, houseless population, you see a huge uh, percentage of veterans that are on the street, um, the treatment for uh, PTSD and more. So um, nations are always seemed ready to send the uh, young people off to war, uh, but when it comes to taking care of, of them, that becomes another story. So that was uh, the Beatles' Give Peace a Chance. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety, and you can subscribe for a free podcast. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the state of Texas and internationally. We would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Ireland. It is our weekly roundtable and our panelists are Jackie Goldberg, Laura Carlson, Dr. Gerald Horn. We're now going to turn our attention uh, to the climate uh, crisis, which continues unabated. The UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, said the clock is ticking. We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. Greenhouse gas emissions keep growing. Global temperatures keep rising and our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Now, given all of that, you have countries saying, you know, wait a minute, we're paying the highest price for climate change and we're not the greatest polluters. So they are demanding direct climate aid. Some people are calling it climate uh, reparations, um, aid for loss and damage. Uh, Before our panelists weigh in, on COP27, as the, the UN meeting is called, held in Shah Sheikh, Egypt, let us hear what the Barbados Prime Minister, Mia Motley, had to
6: say. This world looks still too much like it did when it was part of an imperialistic empire. Our ability to access electric cars or our ability to access Batteries or photovoltaic panels are constrained by those countries that have the dominant presence and can produce for themselves. But the Global South remains at the mercy of the Global North on these issues. There was and must be a commitment to unlocking concessional funding For climate-vulnerable countries, there is no way that developing countries who have been graduated can fight this battle without access to concessional funding.
0: All righty. Um, there you go. That was the Barbados Prime Minister, uh, Mia Motley Barbados, the world's newest republic, having uh, dropped the uh, the queen, now the king, I suppose, um, of England as, as head of state, again, uh, stirring things up at the UN conference, as she did last year. Laura Carlson, your thoughts on what's going on now in this whole push by countries in the Global South, a form of climate reparations, Laura Carlson.
4: The fact that they have put loss and damage financing for developing countries on the table is is certainly positive, but the immediate question is, why up until now? It's been talked about, all the evidence of how they have least responsibility for the current crisis and suffer the worst consequences has been in for ages. And so uh, it's hard, especially with, with all these COP meetings, not to be a little bit pessimistic regarding the results, especially the regards re, the results in proportion to the dimensions of the problem. They had already decided on a target at COP21 way back when on $100 billion a year for compensation that has never been met. And now the estimates are up to uh 290 billion and going up to 580 billion by 2030 it's just a more and more impossible situation and the responses are are never up to nearly the level that's necessary i was also uh, struck by mia motley's intervention as i almost always am, and by her uh, participation in international forums in this quote that you put out, and what people are saying is that the South has been dependent on overpriced energy from the North with very poor distribution. And that has created, of course, in addition to a lack of access to appropriate energy in the Southern countries, it, it gives those Northern countries more power and more profits. And there's still been no emphasis on creating the means for local production and especially emphasizing on renewables. So Even when you look at some of the things on the agenda with all the dire messages that are coming out, we're still really not seeing a lot of signs of the kinds of structural changes in power and practices that would really be able to come up with this. So Friends of of the Earth is once again denouncing that we're going to see a lot of, these false solutions, market-based solutions of net zero, carbon markets, offsets, removals, anything except real emission cuts or real measures to transition away from an oil and gas economy. And then I think that one of the really interesting things was uh, Gustavo Petro's speech from Colombia, who said that you know the climate crisis uh, can only be overcome if we stop consuming hydrocarbons, and we have to transition this economy away immediately it's not like that's something new to say but it is new coming from governments and it was and it's not like we have to tweak it here and there we have to have this and that mitigation strategies so we have to leave it And he also said at the end, you know, we have to do this with or without the governments. That is to say, as a president, he said, if the governments are unable to rise to this occasion, which by all indications they are unable, it's time for people to take a more prominent role. And, uh, you know, even confronting my own government if we don't do enough, because otherwise uh, we will be very close on the road to extinction, extinction.
0: Right. And Laura Carlson, thank you for that. It seems as though Pedro's is um, more to the left, more ahead of, of uh, Mia Motley. You want to share with us, you are in Brazil, really exciting time for the election there where Lula was elected and Bolsonaro defeated. You want to share with us about that
4: and the significance of it? Yeah, definitely. It was It was extremely exciting to be in Brazil at that time. Lula was always favored. But as we get down to the end, we saw the kinds of dirty tricks and the direct involvement of the international right. And so finally, the vote was 49.1% for Bolsonaro and uh, 50.9% for Lula. But the voting system is extremely efficient and uh, fair. It's an electronic voting system. And so within a couple hours, we had the results, and there was a huge party in the streets of Sao Paulo and other parts of Brazil. This is significant for two major reasons that affect all of us. First of all, that he did defeat that far right, but also, we have to look at how close the far right came in an election they were never, they were never expected to win. Steve Bannon was directly involved with Bolsonaro's son, Eduardo, especially. Um, they used the same culture wars, family values type of an agenda that and messaging that they've been using in other countries, and it was It was uh, effective in some parts of Brazil. They especially combined with this anti-communist and scare rhetoric regarding a third presidency of Lula. And they also used to do dirty tricks, you know, trying to the police actually stopped and kept busloads of people going to vote in areas where Lula has a, a lot of strength. Um, They actually kept them from from arriving at the polls after the elections. There were claims of fraud and that kind of thing. And then the second thing is how it changes the geopolitical map in our region, because this means that Lula will join this very large group now of progressive governments that are strengthening South ties, not only amongst themselves in Latin America, but he also mentioned explicitly, we're going to go back to our policy of creating stronger ties with africa and they are organizing to confront crises in forums that don't include the participation of the hegemonic right. united states
0: right thank you uh laura for that and and jackie goldberg again for you on two fronts here on uh cop Uh, 27 and your thoughts on uh, what is happening uh, there. Um, President Biden is supposed to be there and with the demands from the uh, countries of the global south, the loss and damage and kind of a a sort of climate uh, reparations. The United States has been silent. I mean, you have Denmark, Belgium, Scotland, uh, the EU, Ireland coming forward with some money uh, towards uh, this fund, but the United States Uh, nothing uh, so far on it and this pressure on Biden to declare a a climate uh, emergency and uh, Jackie Gobert, people the Barbados prime minister also made the case that after World War II, uh, countries that were involved in killing and destruction, I'm sure she was referring to Germany, benefited from the Marshall Plan Uh, and so contrasting that with the help Global South not getting now to deal with the climate crisis Jackie Goldberg, your thoughts on that and also a quick comment on the return of Netanyahu in um, Israel. Jackie Goldberg.
2: Well, I don't uh, disagree with anything that uh, Laura just said. I I think that the whole notion of the global north's responsibility to the global south is still a Too new concept for many Americans. They don't get it. And certainly our legislators in Congress don't get it at all. But I think that the needs of climate change will push all of us to be looking at things in a different way because there is no solution unless the North helps the South globally. And we have to have solutions that are global. This is not a solution situation where you get to pick, oh, I get to have some things that are okay, but other things aren't. And I'm happy with that. That's kind of crazy. In terms of Israel, I think the big problem is not just Netanyahu, it's Ben Gavir. For those of you who don't know Ben Gavir, Ben Gavir was, until last year, was called a kind of a fringe Palestinian-hating religious far-right provocateur and other names like that. But now, because of Netanyahu having to need the help of what was uh, put together as a religious Zionism group which put together two other organizations, Gavir's National Union and then another group joined together. They got enough seats to now probably get Gavir an opportunity to be a powerful voice in Israel. This is really terrible because Gavir is one of those folks who believes that Palestinians who, quote, aren't loyal to Israel should be removed from the country. His group, the Mayer Kahani, Meir Kahani outlaw his Kash group. This guy has been like this since he was 16. He's been convicted. Gavir has been convicted of incitement to racism, destroying property, possessing a terror organization's propaganda and supporting a terror organization. And he is now about to become a minister in the new Israeli government. This is the furthest right the Israeli government has ever gone. And it is not a good situation for anyone in Israel.
0: Wow, that is a a very scary picture there. Jackie Goldberg and, of course, all of this, including what happened in Brazil, also what's happening in Israel will also have an impact on what happens, what governments do about the climate, clearly, as well. Now, Dr. Gerald Horn, bringing you into this discussion here, I mean, there are a few things you have, um, Mia Motley uh, saying that the war, climate uh, mitigation, as she also, as I said earlier, made the comment contrast with what happened in Europe with the Marshall Plan, right? Um, as opposed to what's not happening now with countries of the global South. And also she made reference in, in the, not in the clip, but in the talk about Bretton Woods. The, you know, and that deal that was cut in 1944 with 44 countries, a lot has changed in the world. And when you look at the international financial institutions, you'll see that not a heck of a lot has changed. Dr. Horn, your thoughts on that, but also Also, there's some summits that are coming up that likely you would want to uh, comment on, in particular uh, Biden and Xi, but some other summits as well. Dr. Horn.
3: Well, first of all, with regard to the summit, a prelude to the Biden-Xi summit is the meeting that has apparently taken place in Egypt at the COP27 between the United States climate negotiator, uh, former Senator John Kerry, and his Chinese counterpart. I think that that is important, and it hopefully sets the right tone for a Biden-G summit in Bali, Indonesia during the upcoming G20 meeting because there's been a lot of loose talk lately about uh, conflict and war between China and the United States. Uh, This particularly escalated after Speaker Pelosi uh, visited Taiwan, the rebel province, in August 2022. And that meeting between Biden and Xi hopefully will help to calm tensions And speaking of uh, calming tensions, just a few days ago in China, you had a very important meeting between Chancellor Schultz of Germany and President Xi. Uh, This is important because with the United States heading towards Cold War II with China, many expected the so-called allies in the North Atlantic bloc to follow the United States over the cliff. Germany apparently is not willing to do so. It's already suffering because of the sanctions imposed upon Russia, jeopardizing its Energy and also leading to what some could call a deindustrialization of Germany. And Mr. Schultz traveled to Beijing. Now, the problem is that in his coalition, the Green Party, which holds the foreign ministry, is quite hawkish towards China and they objected strenuously. I should also mention that after years of conflict. You had a summit between the leader of the Communist Party of Vietnam and the Communist Party of China, speaking of Mr. Xi. Uh, This is important because, recall, you just mentioned your brother who fought in Vietnam. Supposedly, that war was fought because of monolithic communism, although we know that there had been this pre-existing tension between China and Vietnam, which escalated after the United States was ousted unceremoniously in 1975, And the fact that these two Communist Party leaders are meeting is of utmost importance. But note as well that Mr. Biden, in addition to visiting Egypt and Indonesia for the G20 summit, is stopping over in Cambodia. That is to say that if Vietnam is not going to provide a military base for the United States to help to encircle China, Mr. Biden apparently feels that Cambodia will serve that purpose today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to
0: thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our board op, Gary Baca, and our panelists, Jackie Goldberg, Laura Carlson, uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. Remember that you could hear more from Dr. Horn. I will also be facilitating the event this coming Sunday, 3 o'clock. Dr. Horn on the counter-revolution of 1836, Texas slavery and Jim Crow and the roots of U.S. fascism. You'll have a chance to ask questions of Dr. Horn. So here we go. And sorry about some of the sound issues that we were having today. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. I hope you get to do something really nice this weekend. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.
1: Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Say it again, y'all.
4: Whoa. to me. Ah!